Well, it's my distinct privilege to open God's Word to you now. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're beginning at verse 17. This is the continuing series on leadership, as picked up from verses 7, 17, and 24, all mentioned mentioning the word leaders. And we're talking about leadership within the church, and specifically we're talking about the idea and concept of submitting to leaders, obeying and submitting to leaders. It's, I think, very easy to look at our culture and look at um, the way things are ramping up and even sort of dangerous these days to think that submission or submitting or obeying has become such a foreign concept in our culture that it's even become a bad word to many. Almost like the more that we talk about submission, the more we need to be nervous about even saying something like that in our culture. Well, I want to make the case that submitting to a governing authority, submitting in the home, submitting even at church has always been a difficult thing for people since the beginning of time almost because at Genesis 3, there was the fall. And at the fall, which was the beginning of not submitting to God, right? That lack of submission and that seed of insubordination grew and grew and grew to the point where the world was destroyed with a deluge of water. Things got worse and worse and worse. And then when things reset, they also began to get worse and worse again. And so insubordination or a lack of submission, or a lack of having a heart that desires to submit is nothing new. Just think through the biblical record. What happened? Uh, Cain murdered Abel, right? You have Jacob who lied to Esau. You have Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers, breaking the heart of his father Jacob, who thought was left for dead. You have all kinds of sins that were happening in full and living flamboyancy and color all the way back at the beginning of the biblical record. There's lies. There's kings who were polygamist with regularity. There was the Tower of Babel that happened earlier on where you have idolatry on steroids. You have people willfully rejecting God's authority out loud and on display. All of the Ten Commandments being just broken and shattered at every turn, murdering. You have people who were lying. You have people who were insubordinate to parents, all in the biblical record and narrative. You have people who were taking the Lord's name in vain all over the place. Even David's sins, all in one fell swoop, basically broke all of the Ten Commandments, did he not? Paul, who was the perfectionistic Pharisee, was undone by the law as it stood as a mirror to his heart, showing him his covetousness where he was undone, going, man, I thought I had it all licked. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I was just fine by my moral obedience. And yet he, too, was an insubordinate sinner to God. So insubordination or lack of submission is nothing new. And we can see that in... Scripture, it says that in the last days there was going to be insubordination. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 and 5, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. There it is, insubordination. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Even religious hubris where people are faking it, but in their hearts, all of these sins and seeds of sins are live in people's human depravity. When did depravity begin? At the fall. At the fall, we were born in sin. It doesn't mean all of us do all of the things as horribly as we possibly could, but it means that all of us are all stained in all parts by the sinfulness of sin. And so for Hebrews 13 to be addressing this issue in the church, in the earliest stages of the church should not surprise us. The, the need for the church to be commanded to submit should not surprise us. You say, well, weren't things supposed to get worse and worse and worse to the last days and aren't the last days now? Well, the last days began, by the way, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. That was 2,000 years ago. So it, he's poised to return. And at Acts 1-8, that was the beginning of the last days. And here we are now. So within this last days era... There is a struggle to submit, both in our culture and society, in all, kind, in all manners of employment and governing authorities, and in homes, but also within the church. And I'll show this to you. It was 2,000 years ago, and this is a problem even to today. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, here's the motivation. Don't miss this. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Listen, individualism, insubordination, these are not issues that were made up by the West or Western culture. This is not an American idea. This is not even a 21st century idea. This is for every heart. And every heart needs to be challenged and subdued by Scripture to think through the question of this. Why should I submit? Why should I obey? What does it matter one way or the other? What does it matter? Well, it requires a spiritual mindedness even to ask the question in humility. Not to be bucking the system or challenging authority, but to say, Lord, I'm asking myself in my own heart, and I know some of you, even here in this room, have had to do that, have had to soul search and say, why should I obey? Why should I submit within the church? What good is it for me? You might even be asking, why should I obey and submit within governing authorities? And Romans 13 speaks of that. We'll hit that later within the message. But, but why in the church? What's happening when you submit to a governing authority, to a leader within the church? What's happening in your own soul? Well, I want to just give you the principle up front. It's this. You can write it down if you want to. Submission is a key barometer to your spiritual condition. Submission is a, the attitude. I'm not just talking about raw submission, just saying, okay, I'll just do it. You know, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. I'm, I'm saying the attitude of submission 
It's not just that you submit, it's how you submit. A submissive attitude is a key barometer to how you're doing spiritually. A lack of submission is also a key test or barometer to how you're doing spiritually. The state of your soul, not just whether you're alive or dead spiritually, it could come to that. But ultimately, are you progressing or are you digressing in the spiritual life? That's why this is so important at the end of Hebrews 13. The whole point of Hebrews is that you not drift away, right? That you, not, that you might not drift away from the faith, drift away from church, drift away from fellowship, drift away from God. Don't drift. Don't fall away. Don't ultimately apostatize where you were never a Christian in the first place. You're faking yourself out and you run out of gas. You buck the system and leave. And you all know people who've done that. This is guarding you from doing that and saying, check your heart in terms of your obedience. We're looking under the hood in terms of your obedience and in terms of your submissive attitude. It's the key barometer for your spiritual condition. Now, where do I get this from? Well, look at the role of the leader here. The role of the leader in verse 17, it says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now, this either means that they're actually doing that or they're not. This is either just sort of superficial or this is real. And I submit the scripture is saying that this is real. Shepherds, pastors, Elders, overseers, it's all the same person, three different titles, elder, pastor, and overseer, three titles that are interchangeable over one office or one role. It's a person who is a physician of your soul. They're a caretaker of your soul. They are a shepherd of your soul. They care about how you're doing spiritually. These are not men who are part of the papacy. They're not, we're not talking about Roman Catholic priests who, who have some spiritual power or say over you. They have no x-ray vision into your heart and spiritual state any more than any other Christian does. And yet at the same time, there is a stewardship that's placed within a group, within a local church that's a biblical local church where they're given a responsibility, really a partnership to oversee the spiritual condition of your life and your heart and your eternity. That is the role of leader that we're speaking to right here. It's the function of overseeing. Now back up to verse, in the beginning of verse 17, the word obey and the word submit are really the same action, the same command that's followed with just some little descriptive nuance there. To obey is is someone who is following who's assenting to leadership, to a direction that's being given. That's obedience here. It's not slavish, uninformed obedience. It's not mindless. It's not blind obedience. It's just a heart that's willing to be led along by the council of leaders. They're providing a direction. All of that needs to be tested biblically. I understand that, but I'm just laying some groundwork here. That's the obey part and then submission is a yieldedness it's a yieldedness to be corrected it's being correctable it's the idea that you might be thinking unbiblically and you're you're just being refocused to a biblical mindset and a biblical direction this is what we're talking about attitudes of the heart within the congregation that say i'm willing to be moved along by the direction of a leadership not blindly but open with, with an open heart to that, and then being willing to be corrected. This is obeying 
and submitting, which is the barometer of a person's spiritual condition. Again, progressing back to the phrase, keeping watch. Keeping watch means to guard. Shepherds are leading to guard you, to help you. They are called to stay awake or stay alert. Keep watch means to be awake like you're a shepherd who's nodding off on the hillside. Wake up, wake up. You have to wake up as a shepherd because you're guarding the soul of the sheep. It's wakefulness. They're called overseers over and over again in the New Testament. Acts 20, 28, Paul to the Ephesian elders, the plurality, he called them overseers. Philippians 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus 1, 7, 1 Peter 5, 2, all use this word overseer, episcopoi. It's a person who is, who's watching from 30,000 feet to see how you're doing. We should want this in our lives, all of us, in terms of obeying and submitting it, it puts us in, really, in the framework of protection to be helped. Now, I want to quickly balance this with the priesthood of the believer. You say, where does this leave me as an individual Christian? Don't I have the Spirit of God? Wasn't I gifted by the Holy Spirit? Don't I have a spiritual-mindedness? First Timothy, I mean, First Corinthians says, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. But a Christian can spiritually discern things, right? Where am I? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a people of God's own possession. Yeah, naturally, you have that individual role as a believer to discern and to understand and participate in the body of Christ. We are all participants together in that regard. We are. We're all gifted. We all need each other. But at the same time, there is health in terms of following leaders. And all of this is held in a biblical balance. William Barclay said it this way. A church is a democracy, but not a democracy run mad. It must give obedience to those whom it has chosen as its guides. So there is democracy. There is communication and health within the body of Christ. And then there is submission all at the same time. It reminds you of a healthy marriage. Healthy marriage between a husband and a wife. They should be able to talk. They, there should be some equal footing. There should be some sparring that's healthy that goes on in terms of getting to right in a household. And then at, at the end of the discussion, there has to be a leader. Someone has to make a decision. Someone has to make a judgment call. Even if the husband is leading by deferring to the wisdom of his wife, he's still leading. That's church. That's health. That's how it should play out in the church as well. This is very important. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 has the picture of the tongue of fire that's over every head of the 120 in the earliest stage of the church, right? And so we are all spiritually gifted and we're all interdependent upon each other, but we still have an infrastructure. Obedience, submission, a yieldedness to qualified leaders. Now, what's a qualified leader look like? First Timothy 3, I have to be above reproach. It's not the perfection of the man's life, but it is the direction. It doesn't mean that he was perfect, but it means that he was blameless. There aren't messes that are left undone. There aren't questions or accusations that can be brought to a person where they didn't repent of something or show themselves to be holy as a leader. Not perfect, but in the right direction. Followable, right? It's verse 7, which speaks of imitating their way of life. 
imitating their faith. This is leadership that's commendable, that's accountable under the Holy Spirit and accountable by the word of God and these qualifications that are very daunting in 1 Timothy 3, right? You have to be gentle. You have to have a good reputation within the church. You have to have a good reputation with outsiders outside of the church. You have to be able to handle the scripture, apt to teach. You have to be able to discern between right and wrong, truth and error, falsehood and true, based on the grid of scripture that's implanted in your mind. You have to be a person who is a shepherd, not overbearing, not overlording, not overreaching with your authority, not an oppressor, not a brawler, not a bully, not someone who's addicted to wine or alcoholic beverage. You have to be a spirit-filled believer to be a qualified elder. And it's within these qualifications that that a person is drawn to follow that person. They want to, because they want to be like Christ. Leaders are found in the church to be plural. It's leaders on, on purpose here. It's not just a leader. We're not talking about a cult of personality where you follow somebody because you like the way they tell jokes or the way they look or the way they act or their business acumen or whatever. None of that qualifies a person for leadership. This is leaders in plurality. Acts chapter 14, 23 says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Elders in every church. Titus 1, 5 speaks of this. Acts 20, 28, overseers. It was a group that Paul met with at Miletus that was the church leadership at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. It's always more than one to be biblically balanced. You know, you have the warnings from 1 Corinthians 1.12 where the church was dividing and sectioning itself off. I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. I am of Christ. You know, and Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because I don't want to be one who's followed as the key individual. That's dangerous. You follow a plurality, and within that plurality, there's inherent accountability where the elders need to be checking themselves with each other as unto the Lord and his lordship and the word of God, let alone be open to the accountability from the body where if someone is out of line, there are two witnesses that come and confront a person like that because a person who's an unqualified leader can turn into a wolf and create all kinds of damage and wreckage within the church, even if he doesn't know it. So this is the accountability that we're talking about to follow. We're not talking about, again, a religion um, that we're following. We're not talking about a religious position of authority that's defined by the beauty of a person's robe. We're not talking about that. We're talking about following men who are set apart in God's providence, who are spirit-filled, who are affirmed by the church, who the Holy Spirit put in place, who are biblically qualified, held in check. These are the leaders that are to be imitated and followed and who help us grow spiritually. Peter even said it in 1 Peter 5. He called himself a fellow elder. It's amazing. First Peter 5, 1, I exhort the elders among you. So it's a plurality among a church. And he says, as a fellow elder, this is Peter who was with Christ, who was the mouthpiece for the apostles. He was the preacher at Pentecost. And he went to the church in first Peter 5 and says, I'm just one of, one of the fellow elders. I just want to fit in. That's eldership. And that's the authority that you can follow biblically. All the authority from an elder is the word of God anyway, right? 
It's the word of God, and we establish that from verse 7. It's those who spoke the word of God to you. A leader is someone who, whose authority is not based on personality or any other category other than the word of God. We're really following the word as we follow the Lord. Verse 8 talks about that. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The reason we follow a leadership is because we're following the Lord. And I said I would... Bring us back to Romans 13 to talk in terms of broader leadership and governing authorities, which is a hot topic right now in the state of our country. We need to go to the scripture, do we not? I mean, I don't have all the answers to all that's going on now, but I will say this. When life gets hard enough and you come to the end of yourself, there's two places that a Christian should run. Number one, the word of God. So ask yourself when you're at the end of yourself, what verse or two or three verses will help me right now, right? And I'm thinking of you who serve in public arenas. You need the spirit of God. You need a verse. You need a passage. You need, you need the, the protection of the scripture right now, right? To go out into the field and to discern what to do and how to be. And this will be our posture as believers who are fellow soldiers in God's army. We, we go out protected in truth. And so we have to go to the word of God. Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Why do we serve and submit to a government? Even if we disagree, why would we do that? Well, you have to do it to the degree that we, we aren't disobeying scripture, but we're just obeying God's word and we're trying to discern the exact way to do that, you do it with this mindset. You say, the governing authority was established by God. And so you ask, what, you ask yourself this question, what is God doing even through a government that I either agree with or disagree with? I need to see God as the one who established it. Why do I say that? Well, look at the next verse. It says, Romans 13, 2, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has, what? Appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. You have to start with the scripture. You have to understand that the scripture is there. It's, it's radical, but it is an important piece to understand. And it's the same way with the governing authorities within the church. You say, I'm, I may or may not all the way agree with where the leadership in the church is taking us. I might not, but I'm going to ask myself, what is God up to? Because God is the Lord over the institution. He is the one who uses mere men and fractured vessels to carry out his will. And it might not always be perfectly, you know, playing out because we're operating in a sinful world, but the attitude of submission is so beautiful because God seems to work things out so well once our hearts are right. Colossians 3.22 talks about slaves. Think about slavery and the injustices of that, Okay. I don't know every situation and I don't know what slavery was like in the New Testament time, but there were, there were good masters and there were harsh masters. And if you parallel this to employment, you have good bosses and bad bosses. You have good situations and bad situations. If you parallel this to first Timothy, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter three, you have wives who were married to an unbeliever. They become a Christian and they're in a marriage. And what are they going to do? They try to win that husband who might 
be doing terrible things, but trying to win that husband with the word. I mean, without a word, with the gospel testimony. That's submission. It says in Colossians 3.22, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. If you're in a bad boss situation, fear the Lord who's above that boss and submit to that boss in the fear of the Lord. I've done it. I know what we're talking about. Well, the leaders in the church are not unbridled dictators, that's for sure. They have to be accountable. But at the same time, there is an attitude of submission. What role does a leader play in terms of your health, the health of your soul? How does this work? Well, again, remember, verse 17 says that leaders are those who will have to give an account. They have to give an account. Um, They are under a greater strictness. Their heart is Paul's heart, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said, I was gladly, I most glad, will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. A leader who is godly is spending themselves for your sake, for your soul. A leader is aware of accountability that's coming. All of us should be. Romans 14 speaks of that, 1 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 5, the Bema seat judgment that will all stand before God. But there's an especial judgment, I think, coming for the Christian leader. 1 Peter chapter 5, I had touched on it already. It says in verse 2, shepherd the flock that's among you. And then it says, you know, not exercising oversight, not under compulsion, willingly. Verse 3, not domineering, being an example. Why all of this? Look at verse 4. Here's the accountability that's on a leader in a church. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is why younger people, next verse, should be subject to elders. This is, you, you submit under eldership for your soul's sake because the leader is accountable to Jesus for your soul. How high are the stakes of leadership within a church? If a spiritual leader takes it seriously... Not just as some sort of perfunctory office or some sort of, you know, sort of political office term. No, a a shepherd who cares about your individual soul, who is going to answer for how they cared for your soul one day when the chief shepherd comes home. That's the kind of shepherd that you want to submit under for your soul's sake, who will care for you, who will ask you wise questions, who will help you take the temperature for how you're doing. Earlier service, I was talking about how it's important when you smell something burning under your hood to not ignore it. It's important when you hear that squealing, chirping noise of the belt under your hood to not ignore it. You have to open up the hood. You got to pop the hood. As a Christian, a lot of times, I think we ignore things that are going wrong in our Christian life. We suppress it. It's like we just drive along and say, I'm just going to get used to that thump, thump, thump. You know, I'm just going to be okay with it. But eventually something's going to blow. And you can tell I did a little home maintenance on my Bronco this week, right? I I thought, man, that gauge is a little off and it needed oil. It needed some antifreeze. It needed, you know, the the pick-me-up after a long, hard winter. In the Christian life, you got to examine yourself. You got to look under the hood. You can't just bank on what happened to you when you were 10 years old. You have to examine yourself over a multi-year sweep and say, how am I doing spiritually? And how am I doing, especially in terms of 
In this case, having a submissive attitude. Am I hard-hearted or am I submissive? Paul told Timothy, keep watch, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Saving here should be understood as persevering, persevering. Saving is at, is, a, is at a point in time. When you were quickened by the Holy Spirit and you were saved, it's done. It's happened. But the way that you test whether that actually happened or not is whether or not you're persevering. That's how it works. The whole of Hebrews is talking about running the race that is set before us, right? That's what the whole series is titled under. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We're supposed to endure, run the endurance race that is set before us. Be a runner. Be a runner. Well, part of examining whether you are genuinely running is asking yourself this question. How is my heart in terms of being submissive, submissive and obedient to leaders, enduring to the end? Not drifting. I don't need to go through the different references. You can find them online in my notes. But um, chapter 2, 3, 4, 6, 10, 12, 13, they all mention the idea that you have to persevere all the way to the finish line to vindicate that you were the real thing. It vindicates it. Persevering doesn't save you, but it, but it does give you the assurance of your salvation. And so part of gaining the assurance of your salvation is persevering, is working with leaders, is being a follower and a discerner. This isn't to raise a pastor or an elder to a God status or a papacy status, but it is to see the significance of a shepherd testing you. There's a lot of testing that's going on right now, right? With the C-19, with the virus and some of my kids have had to be tested and take the test, right? Whether the short test or the long test, just to apply for a job this summer or just to go to a doctor's appointment, you had to be tested first. I didn't have to get tested, praise the Lord, so far. But the idea is that testing is important, but some of the tests, as you know, are interesting and curious because you can be completely asymptomatic going for the test and have it, or you can be someone that's full of symptoms that are, you know, off the chain and you get tested for it and you might have a different kind of flu or a different sickness but not have it and so it's it's kind of an interesting parallel to the christian life you might think you're humming along and just fine right you don't have something that can take you out you don't have something that's spiritually lethal going on in your life but you got to be willing to test yourself with the scripture to see where you are or are not look at verse 17 again this is sort of wrapping things up as we close, but it says, it says you're basically going to submit to a governing authority in one of two ways. Verse 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The no advantage is this. The no advantage to you isn't just, oh, well, if I make my leader at church groan, which the word groan means to deep sigh, if I give them a hard time that's going to be a bummer for me to a church. That is not what, what the author is saying here. No advantage here means you are found to be empty spiritually. So you're going to approach leadership one of two ways, either in a way that encourages leaders, that builds them up. Now, I'm not saying we overlook sin if there's sin in the camp at the leadership level, but you're either, your followership is either building up 
the leaders, or it is causing them to groan, one or the other. And depending on how your heart attitude is, when you're asked to obey or submit, it's going to give one of two effects, either joy or groaning, happiness or sadness, strengthening or draining. Those are the dynamics that are happening. And if you're a drainer, then it could very well mean that you are spiritually empty inside. You're left, literally the word is unprofitable. And it could mean that you're not spiritually alive if you're someone who is always causing the leadership to groan. That's the warning of this text. Again, we want to persevere. We want to be strong spiritually. And so one way to reassure yourself that you are strong spiritually is by being a joy to leaders. It's health within the family. Be like a submissive wife that's, that's a joy to a husband or an employee that's a joy to the employer. Those kinds of things reassure you in your employment. They reassure you in your family. Well, guess what? If you are a joy to the spiritual leaders, they will reassure you to your position and your growing status in the Christian life. That's how it works. You're one or the other. You're one or the other. You're either a joy maker or a, a groaning maker. I don't know. A, that's, that's what's happening. And it all comes down to either sparking joy or sparking groaning in, ter- groaning in, terms, of your, in terms of your attitude. Paul said that the Thessalonians were a joy and a crown to him. First Thessalonians 2.19, 1 Thessalonians 3.9. For all the joy we feel for your sake before our God. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God and my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. When our attitude is raw, when our attitude is smoke and mirrors, when our attitude is not right with the Lord, guess what? You are making your leader groan. Hey, for some of you uh, younger people who play sports, just look up at me. It's like your coach. I mean, you can either kind of go through the motions and go at a level of being in shape and being on for the team and just follow just as you're told what to do, or you can be a joy, someone who's really proactive, really getting into winning and being part of the winning team, right? This is what we're talking about. This is how your spiritual health becomes conclusive, conclusively positive, conclusively assured rather than inconclusive. So what does this practically look, look like? And I just want to touch on these last two verses. They connect really well. So stay with me. Give me two minutes. Is that fair? All right. Look at verse 18. Pray for us. Here's the command to be submitted to. It's as clear as this. Look, obey and submit. All right, let's test it out. Here's a command to be obeyed. Not some moral thing. Just practically speaking, pray for us. This is the author of Hebrews, a leader One of their leaders, please pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. This is not blind followership. This is hearing from the leader that they have a clear conscience before God. The biblical qualifications, the affirmation of the Holy Spirit on this person's life, they're checked out. Pray for me. Pray for us. What is he asking for? He's saying, I'm desiring to act honorably in all things. Pray for me that I will do this. My conscience is clear. I desire to act honorably in all things. Verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly, 
Here's the command to be obeyed. Here's following with a heart of humility. I I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you. You know, godly leaders aren't distant. They They don't want to hold themselves up on some ivory tower. They want to be near. They want to be accountable. They want to be transparent. Pray that we can be reunited. Pray for that. The command here is not some obligatory burden. This is just pray for me commands. This is the heart of faith and love and saying, please pray for me as we do this together, right? That's the heart of a leader. This is one to be followed. May we all be spiritually affirmed as we follow the Lord's leading through God's word.